Good morning, everyone. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Joining me in studio is Dan Barlow, who's Executive Director of People's Health and Wellness Clinic in Barrie. But he's also, ready for this, a co-founder of Green Mountain Graveyards. So we're going to talk a half hour about people's health and wellness, and then Dan's going to get us in the mood for Halloween. Yes. Happy okay. Halloween, Pat. That a, thank you. You too. Thank you. That's so cool. Thank you for coming in the studio, by the way. Things always work much better when the folks are in the studio. My pleasure. You know, um, in college, I interned at an AM radio station, so this brings back memories coming to WDEV. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And it hasn't changed, has it, uh, since you were... Well, I, I, my internship wasn't here, but oh. it was very much like a, a WDEV right? in, in uh, New Hampshire. So I keep telling yeah. everybody, I keep waiting for a 1940 star to come in and, <laughs> and uh, do a show with me. But anyway, let me just tell you a little bit about Dan. He's an experienced nonprofit leader and healthcare policy expert who became the People's Health and Wellness Clinic Executive Director in December 2021. A few years. I was. I told you before the show. I was so excited to hear that you were going to be at People's Health and Wellness because it is an amazing organization. Um, so can you tell us about the clinic, um, which apparently, and I didn't know this, it's one of nine clinics supported by the Vermont's Free and Re- Referral Clinics. Yes. So um, uh, People's Health and Wellness Clinic has been around for 30 years, so we have a long history here in Vermont. And we are one of nine um, yeah, free and referral clinics in Vermont. Um, each clinic is a little bit different. Uh, five of those clinics are uh, like us, uh, free clinics where we have volunteer medical professionals providing care. Um, the other four are just referral clinics. They're attached to hospitals, mm-hmm. and they do uh, financial assistance, health care enrollment, and things like that. We also do financial assistance and health care, health insurance enrollment as well. Um, but all the clinics are a little bit different, and we are part of a statewide association. And, in fact, I'm actually the new board president of that statewide association as well. Dan, <laughs> <laughs> we have to talk. That's great. I was reading. I'd never heard of it, sadly, and I looked it up on the, online, and it's it's really an interesting group. And so all of the clinics Somebody from the clinics are on that board. Yeah, the director of each of the clinics yeah. is on the board, and we have an executive director of the association, ah. um, Olivia Shero, and she actually lives in Barrie, uh, close to me, so Good. which just makes it really um, handy. And um, you know, they manage our grants for us that we get um, through the um, the Vermont Department of Health, um, and look for other opportunities to you know make sure the money's coming in to keep these clinics open. That's really great, and kudos to all the. I keep somebody said to me, I said that too much sometimes. <laughs> But it's my favorite word. Um, anyway, that uh, the doctors and and physicians that volunteer, how wonderful! It, it really is. Um, they are the lifeblood of an organization like this. Right. Um, we have a few medical professional on staff who help oversee the clinics, but a vast majority of the care is provided by about thirty volunteer doctors and nurses who come in once or twice a month to see patients. Um, some are retired and they like to keep their license active. Um, some finish up their shift at CVMC and then come down to see wow. us to see more patients. It's amazing. I mean, they, they do this because they, um, for the mission of the organization, they want to help people out who um, don't have health insurance or can't afford the out-of-pocket costs to see a doctor, or maybe they just can't find a doctor. I think everyone knows how hard it is to find a primary care doctor these days. So there's a, your website is excellent, by the way. Thank you. I'm a big proponent of really good of really good websites. So if you should check it out, those who are listening. Um and the list of services, um, which 
very clearly said by appointment only. Yes, so yes, we're not a walking clinic. <laughs> <laughs> but it's primary and preventive medical care, um, body work, I like that section, um, mental health care, and oral health care. So you've covered it all. We, we, we definitely try to. I think um, we don't have an optometrist right now. Uh, that's something I'd love to see in the next few years. Um, the dental care, the oral health care, is a, a growing part of what we do. Um, about five years ago, we added a dental hygienist on staff, mm-hmm. um, Joanne Puenta. Um, she's fantastic, and um, she sees patients about three days a week. Um, and increasingly, this is now about half our patients are coming to see us for dental care. So Great. she'll do cleanings, exams, x-rays, um, and we're really excited because we're onboarding a new retired um, dental surgeon volunteer. Um, probably in, in January, we'll probably get him started, um, Dr. Noble. Uh, he's worked at free clinics in the past, just retired into South Burlington, and we raised about $5,000 to buy some new equipment so we can start doing extractions starting in January Excellent. at the clinic. It's going to be huge for our patients right now. I'm sure you know this, but I don't know how many people know how important dental health is to your whole body, to your well-being, because if things go wrong in your mouth, it's a direct link to the rest of the body, right? Absolutely. It affects your, your, your physical health, your mental health. It affects your job prospects, your, your, you know, uh, your ability to kind of navigate through our society. Um, and kind of the sad thing we're seeing at the clinic right now is a lot of people who are coming out of drug addiction, you know, who are in their 20s or 30s and finding out that because of their addiction, you know, that their mouth is in pretty bad shape and that they, you know, um, sure. are, are candidates for dentures, you know, already in their 30s. Um, so it's, it's, because so the smoke goes yeah yeah goes and, in. and sometimes you yeah. know the rehabilitation to get off the, uh, the the drugs you know has a pretty negative impact on their oral health as well good grief well how do you like when did you move into the uh, your building uh, which is on the I love that's one of my favorite buildings the granite Associ- Barry granite Association was there for ever I think it was yeah, yeah. Um, and it was uh, the building was empty before we moved in and um, actually former um, um, Barry mayor Tom Lozon um, played a big part I love Tom oh, I think some great. of my liberal friends roll my eyes, roll their <laughs> eyes when I say that um, but I wish Barry had a hundred Tom Lozons um, you know Tom uh, approached my board about three years ago he has this empty building uh, and had this kind of unique real estate plan where um, we attracted investors who paid either five or ten thousand dollars as investors into the into the building they get tax credits for 10 years so that's a you know a payoff for them um, and our rent pays down the mortgage so now in about seven years you know there's about seven years yeah. left on our mortgage once that's paid down the building will be gifted to the clinic the LLC that was formed will dissolve um, so this is our permanent home in that's downtown great. Barrie it's a state-of-the-art facility uh, we also have two other nonprofit Profits operating in the building as well, so we're a little hub for social services. And um, uh, to connect this conversation to our next conversation later this morning, I'll note that the Barry Granite Association did leave a gravestone in the basement uh, of the building. So uh, my first week I went down in the basement, I was like, clearly this was meant to be. Um, So uh, I called them up, and it was just a sample stone. You know, it's not someone's actual gravestone. It was just a display stone, but it was um, uh, a unique moment where I was like, okay, this is all um, working out for how, how it should. It's yeah. a sign. It is. It was a sign. Yeah, I have to share this because you know we were just talking about me selling my R, uh, selling our RV this summer, uh, and when I when we bought it, I went into the RV and the former owners had ducks, carved ducks all over the place, and my father 
was well known for his for his uh, talent in carving ducks. Wow! So I said the same thing to Bruce. I said, "Oh, this is a sign. This is our place for sure." Absolutely. There you go. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. Um, You talked a little bit about grants as funding. What what other funding sources do you have? You know, it's uh, one of the first things I learned when I started at the People's Health and Wellness Clinic is that our costs are very predictable each month. It costs us about $30,000 to run the clinic for one month. Um, And that's, you know, um, seven staffers, um, probably about three and a half full-time jobs between all of us. Um, You know, rent, electricity, all the other costs. Um, Our income is wildly unpredictable. Um, So we're a 501c3 charity. Um, We get um, some money through the Vermont Department of Health. It's actually federal money flowing through the state. Uh, And that pays for about three months of operation for us. Um, So um, additionally, we also have some grants to do some um, uh, tobacco work to get our patients off cigarettes um, or vaping. Um, We also have some grants around um, um, expanding access to mammograms, some heart healthy uh, grants as well. But really, uh, more than half the budget is fundraised through the community. Um, You know, uh, we'll talk about the Bullathon in a little bit, but we also have our holiday appeal coming uh, in November as well, um, which usually, you know, is about $100,000, $120,000 for us wow. as an appeal uh, to keep the clinic open. You know, I, I quickly learned that um, there's not a lot of money in giving away health care. So. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of money in paying for it, yes, may there I is. say, <laughs> as a retiree, although I am, I am very fortunate because I have the state reti- retirement package, yeah. and I, I listen to some of my friends and how much it costs them. Just staggering. Here with Daniel uh, Barlow, who is Executive Director of People's Health and Wellness Clinic. I was just asking Dan if he saw the Granite uh, Association, Barry Granite, was in that building for uh, years and years. And they had a um, marble board table, the size of a real board table. Wow. I know they had to shore up the floor because I, bet. I, I would have loved to have seen them move that out. They, The association has moved to the um, Barry Granite Museum, which is a perfect place for them. Yes. And um, uh, anyway, I, I would have loved to have seen them move that because it's it had to have taken cranes and I mean, this thing is like, it's just, I don't know how many tons. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, the conference room is on the second floor of the building. Right. So I assume, yeah, they probably had to. Oh, um, they had to. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. the second would become the first. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, this building is so much better than where you were before. That that building that you were in before needed a little TLC it over did. the years. Yeah, and we were um, flooded out twice at that uh, old location, and we would have been flooded out this July as well. Right, um, sure. So we're really thankful. We got a little bit of water in the basement, but for the most part, our part of downtown, we're right behind City Hall Park um, right. among that row of churches. Um, yeah. So we were fine. It was um, re- really lucked out. That's great. You know, it's a little incline there, so that there probably uh, helped you. Yeah. Anyway, um, my church is right next door, and they didn't um, they didn't have any impact either, yep. which is good. Um, so we talked about the funding, and one of the biggest fundraisers, which is back. Yes. Uh, the Bowlathon is back, and it's well. You can talk about it. Tell us when it is, and and is there time to sign up teams? So yes, um, our Bowlathon fundraiser is this Saturday, uh, November fourth, from nine to eleven a.m. over at um, um, Twin City Family Fun Center in Berlin. Um, this is the first time we've held this event since COVID, so it's actually been about four years wow. since we've done this. Um, I remember I wasn't with the organization, but you know we usually did this in um, April, and so you know in, in 
April and March 2020, we had to pull the plug on this right. event, and now we're bringing it back finally. Uh, it is our biggest fundraiser. Um, if you want to sign up as a team, you have to do that by about noon today, actually, because oh, right. I have to go meet with the bowling alley and let them know how many lanes ah. we're taking up. Um, so either uh, give me a call or call the clinic and let them know you want to register as a team. Um, teams are expected to raise um, a minimum of $300 on to bring that day. Um, we also have a bunch of corporate sponsors lined up um, who are um, you know, supporting the event. Um, but a big hallmark of the Bullathon is that we give out prizes um, during the event. So, um, you know, food baskets, um, cheese from Cabot Creamery, uh, gift certificates to uh, the Alchemist, to Morris Block Deli, mm-hmm. uh, to a whole bunch of other local restaurants and businesses. Um, so uh, pretty much everyone will walk away with some kind of prize on nice. Saturday. So You can always count on our, our businesses here, can't you? There's the, the usual suspects that always support everything and um, it's just so wonderful. And, and you know, it's funny. Um, so many of our businesses were obviously impacted by the flooding yep. in July. And so there were businesses we did not approach this year uh, for donations or gift certificates. But still, some of the ones that were impacted still reached yeah. out because they yeah. wanted to support us. They wanted to support right. this event. And you know, it's to have a business owner who's still struggling to open up, to find employees, you know, to say, no, I want to give you a $50 gift certificate. Yeah. It really shows the impact that our clinic has on this community. Good for them. Uh, we're going to have Katie Trouts on uh, the next hour uh, from Montpelier Alive, and she's going to talk about the big, well, it's already been two days. They've been celebrating Halloween downtown Montpelier, and big event tonight. Yes. So uh, that's as a fundraiser, too, so... Uh, that's really cool. Um, anyway, can you tell us, Dan, how – I know on the on the website there were criteria for service that you have to meet one, one or all. Um, could you talk about how one qualifies to get the service? Absolutely. Um, it's interesting. Um, when I started at the clinic, I looked at some historical data. And back in 2007, so a little over uh, more than 15 years ago, uh, about 90% of our patients uh, had no health insurance. Wow. Um, uh, that has changed dramatically. Um, last year, um, half of our patients had health insurance. Hmm. They were either on Medicaid or a um, private Blue Cross Blue Shield plan, um, but they couldn't for, uh, find a primary care doctor or they couldn't afford the out-of-pocket cost. They had a high deductible plan. Um, so they turned to us. So, you know, uh, free clinics were initially set up with the idea that someone would, someone who didn't have a health insurance and who hasn't seen a doctor would go to the clinic. We'd get them in to see a primary care doctor. We'd sign them up for health insurance. We'd find them a primary care doctor and they wouldn't come back to us. Huh. Uh, unfortunately, our healthcare system is so broken, so dysfunctional right, right now right. that we are um, a de facto primary care office for a lot of people in central Vermont. You know, there are patients who have been coming to us for years because they just can't find a primary care doctor or they can't afford health insurance. Um, so it's kind of we've had to adapt to the changing landscape that way. So uh, with the question of who qualifies, um, really almost anyone would qualify. If you can't find a primary care doctor and you haven't seen a doctor in a while, come to see us. We can get you in within a week or so usually Great. to see a primary care doctor. Uh, there are there is income eligibility, um, you know. So we'll ask at some at some point to, to verify your income. Um, but we really, really try to we try not to have any barriers to care. We right. recognize that you know people come to us. Um, they're already in a state of need, um, maybe in a state of crisis sometimes too. Um, and so we shouldn't try to restrict you know who um, uh, comes in and gets our services or not. Um, so, you know, um, uh, our patients is you know everywhere from someone maybe who just lost a job recently or they. 
just moved to Vermont and they don't have resources um, and they need to come to see us, um, all the way to people who are unhoused, you know, who are maybe living in a tent in the woods or crashing on a person's couch. And we're seeing more of that since the flood in Barrie right. as well. I mean, so many houses have just been deemed, um, you know, unlivable um, for families uh, because of the damage. Um, so we're seeing that that level of instability in our patients' lives really kind of flare up over the past few months. Wow. And, you know, and where the old office used to be, your old, that's what got hit the hardest in Barry, those homes. Yeah. Every time I go by, that used to, when I was in the legislature, that was part of my district because it was oh. Berlin and part of Barry City. Yep. And those people are so wonderful. Yes. That live down there. They don't deserve, nobody deserved any of this, but, uh, uh, I felt so bad because they're hardworking. They're, you know, they just, that's where they live and, and, uh, it gets hit every time. It does. And that's kind of a, a real blue collar neighborhood. Right. You know, people, yeah, right, who work very hard yeah. and unfortunately, um, you know, have very few resources yeah. when an emergency like this occurs. Well, I, I have a story from, um, somebody, a uh, family that I knew in, in Berlin when they moved here, as, just as you mentioned, they had two young kids. Neither one had jobs. Mm-hmm. And so they went to the clinic and they have, Ever, as long as I've known them, they've commented about how great it was to have that till they found jobs and got coverage through their employer. Um, but they couldn't, they were just singing your praises all over the place because it, it's not, uh, uh it's quality care. Yes. You know? And do you have a relationship with CVMC? Like if the doctors that are, are looking at patients in the People's Health and Wellness Clinic, if they need further, attention up at the hospital. Is that something that is arranged through you? Absolutely. We have a great relationship with CVMC. They've been fantastic to us. They're a big financial supporter. Most of our medical equipment is donated from CVMC. So uh, it's um, hand-me-downs, you know, which is in good condition and workable shape. Um, And additionally, we frequently do send uh, testing up to CVMC and we get like, you know, we do pay out of pocket for as an organization for that, but CVMC gives us a discount. So we would not be able to operate without the support of CVMC, kind of both um, financially and also just in terms of the resources that it can provide. So tell me, depending on income, if I were to go, I might have to supplement or pay something because of my income level. Is that how it works? It, actually, no. I mean, all our really? care is, is free. Um, so we have an agreement with the federal government that gets us um, federal malpractice insurance for oh. our volunteers, which is a big wow, deal. That, yeah. And as part of that agreement is we can't charge um, insurance companies, hospitals, patients. We obviously ask for donations, um, but we cannot charge anyone, which is kind of why uh, our our costs are predictable. Our income is right. wildly unpredictable. Um, you know, So unlike a, a primary care office or a federally qualified health center, you know, which has a sliding scale. Usually, we can't charge anyone. Wow, I don't, I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm thinking about <laughs> it <laughs> uh, because uh, anyway, explain to me. I, I honed in on the the word body works. Yes, yeah. What is that? You know, that could be anything from massage therapy to acupuncture. Um, we just uh, had a new uh, chiropractor volunteer start um, uh, about uh, two months ago. So she's coming in once, once uh, I think it's one Thursday a month, and she'll brief. see about six patients. Uh, we have an acupuncturist starting again pretty soon. Hmm. Um, so really almost, you know, our services are based on what the volunteers can offer. So a volunteer comes to us and says, hey, I could do one day a month, you know, uh, doing acupuncture. Um, we'll work that out. And we have you know, patients clearly waiting for services like that. That's that's really awesome because uh, I've done some shows, and you would know this being so interested in healthcare, that doctors now are looking at the whole person. Yes. 
Um, it's not just, you know, I came in with a sore throat or something, but they'll look at, they'll prescribe uh, uh, massages, they'll prescribe, because uh, there's always exercise with this. Somehow, <laughs> somehow and they diet always tell you, huh? no, the, the t- gosh, yeah. I wish they'd get off that, but I understand. But anyway, because I don't do well at home when they leave me on my own. But um, it's it's really the whole person that they're treating these days um, to, for you to do something that you like, which will in turn sort of make you feel better. And it's a circle of life, I guess. It I really think. is. And, and, you know, there's uh, it ties into the social determinants of health, which is being talked a lot about as well, uh, recognizing that a person's, you know, environment has an impact right. on their health right. as well. You know, do they have stable access to food? You know, um, um, do they know where they're sleeping that night? Recognizing that all these external factors are impacting the internal um, health of a person as well. I'm glad you said environment. I, um, I've heard this and I, I've never actually sat down to prove it, but I understand that in Vermont, women get breast cancer at way high rate and men get Parkinson's at a high rate. And to me, it's got to be environmental because what else do we share in common with with other women and other men. Um, so there's something. Yeah, and above my pay grade, yeah, but I'm sure too. some researcher out there is looking at this. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, if anybody wants to call in, by the way, it's 244-1777. Um, and, Dan, I read that uh, this is separate from from the clinic, but that you were the first executive director of Business Leaders for Healthcare Transformation I have, and again, I've learned two things today. I've never heard of that group either. Could you talk about it? Is it still in existence? And- I don't believe it's in oh. existence anymore, unfortunately. So um, after I wrapped up my time with uh, Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility, right. where I worked on healthcare quite a bit, I went to work for um, Wendell Potter, who is a, um, mm. uh, a Cigna um, um, PR executive who became a whistleblower, uh, talked about the way that health insurance companies manipulate public opinions and also, um, you know, defer for paying for uh, uh, required uh, um, medical procedures as well. So I went to work for him, and um, we formed a group that had about 2,000 business, wow. businesses across the country were talking about the impact of uh, the private health insurance industry on businesses. You know, um, employers, if they're paying for employee health care, they're paying 10 or 20% of their payroll um, for, for this benefit, and often their employees still can't afford to see a doctor. Um, so we were talking about the economic impact that our broken health care system has on our, on our economy. Right. Is there a fix to this system? I mean, <laughs> no, seriously, I, how long have I been in state government? And every year yeah. we try to, to tweak around the edges and do something. There's like this group and other groups are formed and it just keeps rolling along badly. It does. And, um, you know, uh, I've moved away from thinking that we can just snap our fingers and change the system overnight. Um, you know, I do believe that our healthcare system should look a little bit more like the rest of the industrialized world where it's this, you know, either a mix of private and public. Um, right. And, um, um, but I do see a lot of benefits in these smaller reforms. You know, just this past year, the legislature increased the Medicaid reimbursement for dentists in Vermont. Right. That's that's actually having a real impact on the ground. So before this change, we had maybe uh, three or four local dentists we could refer patients to, and they might take one or two patients a month. We're seeing them increase that amount of patient, Medicaid patients they'll take because uh-huh. they're not losing as much money on these patients as they once did. So these small little tweaks can actually yeah. have real impacts on the ground. Another thing we're looking at is getting the state Medicaid program to pay for dentures uh, for patients. Oh, it doesn't. Excellent. We're one of sta- 10 states that doesn't allow Medicaid to pay for dentures. 
Well, you certainly have a lot of um, hard facts to look at in the research about the importance of dental care. Yes. Um, so I don't think our legislature can uh, can not get that, that how important it is because um, – uh, everybody I've talked to, they, they talk about dental health. It's still crazy that we teach, uh, treat our teeth uh, yeah. in our eyes, right. um, you know, as a, a different part of our body. Um, right. Yeah, as you said, the, the whole body. You know, I've never been one to look forward to a dentist, though. <laughs> just, just, just saying. So anyway, I had Dan last Halloween. Dan came on, which when I saw Halloween, I went, uh oh, gotta call Dan. He, today is Halloween, as you all know, and um, Katie Trouts, as I said before, will be on the show to talk about all that's going on in, in um, Montpelier tonight. And I will be there because I want us, they have the thr- thriller, a group of dancers doing thriller. Oh, wow. I will not miss that for anything. That sounds awesome. Alert to husband who may be listening. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to go down and see that. Anyway, Dan is the co-founder of Green Mountain Graveyards, a photography and research project devoted to Vermont cemeteries. So can you talk about how this all came to be? Sure. Um, you know, I, so I grew up in uh, New Hampshire, uh, moved to Vermont um, a little over 20 years ago. But in New Hampshire, um, I was just down the street from a uh, cemetery called Pine Hill Cemetery, and it had kind of a, a local allure, you know, it was haunted and all mm. this stuff. Um, uh, so it was uh, kind of well-known, with it. it had urban legends attached to it. Um, but it was a beautiful old, you know, um, Puritan-era cemetery, and I was just – uh, got really obsessed with the uh, the symbols on the mm. gravestones. You know these um, uh, these skulls and these grim reapers and these um, uh, willow trees. You know um, these urns and um, you know as a young teen, you know kind of got fell into this rabbit hole of what is what does this mean and what um, what do these symbols tell us about the matters of life and death? Um, later on, uh, as a young man in my uh, around thirty, you know I kind of um, this was uh, reborn within me and it became a Photography project and a research project with my friend Scott and with some others as well, um, and has you know led to the you know, last ten or fifteen years for me, um, you know being the kind of person that when I drive across Vermont, I'm always pulling across uh, onto the side of the road to go uh, tromp around in some old cemetery I see. Um, I think um, you know these. Uh, cemeteries and the symbols and the epitaphs have important lessons for us, both historic about where we came from and how towns were built and, and formed, um, but also lessons about uh, the nature of life and death and, and kind of answering some of the big questions about, you know, why are we here and like what's the meaning of life and then what happens to us when we die? Uh, cemeteries have a lot of those answers or at least some of the answers. Interesting. Well, I grew up near Sleepy Hollow yes. Cemetery in Tarrytown. I have and, not visited. It was on oh, my list. Well, yeah. it's it's amazing. Elizabeth Arden is buried there. There's yes. there's some very famous people that are there. Plus, of course, the headless horseman. Yes, <laughs> that's an important thing. And they've got a um, a one room uh, church there that has no, it's got. It's uh, heated by uh, wood, wow. and you know it's got the oil lamps and stuff. Yeah. And every and the church that I went to in Tarrytown, they would every once in a while have a service up there. Oh, wow. that was a little how beautiful! Wow, oh, that was incredible. Yeah, yeah, I bet you, you were looking over your shoulder. <laughs> who is sitting next to me? That was cool. 
That was cool. But anyway, so you've you've got a, a website, and if you want to see pictures, folks, about all these cemeteries and the things that Dan's talking about, it's uh, Green Mountain Graveyard. Dot, dot org maybe dot, uh, dot org yep, yes yep. you're right correct I have it right here so what when you go into a cemetery you just sort of t- you you take pictures of the most fascinating things um, what kind of draws your attention to these uh, to these specific graves sure um, you know I'm uh, kind of constantly looking for um, older uh, symbols and uh, to take a step back you kind of have to look at Vermont cemetery symbolism in context of New England cemetery symbolism Um, you know uh, you look at gravestones um, in other parts of New England that are from the 1600s and the very early 1700s and it's it's pretty macabre uh, uh, the artwork it's again the uh, it's called the death's head which is this um, you know grinning skull sometimes with wings attached Mm. um, you know images of the grim reaper um, stone referring to the king of terrors, you know, being the personification of death. And that was very reflective of the Puritan ethic at the time. You know, uh, our early settlers here in New England, you know, being kind of out in the wilderness, you know, uh, with a lot of unknowns, life expectancy was very low. Uh, the Puritan religion, you know, didn't guarantee you a place of in heaven when you died. Um, so there's just a lot of unknowns there. And that uh, the stones reflected just how much death was was a reoccurring and present part of people's lives um, back then. That very quickly changed. Um, you know, by the time uh, um, the 1800s hit, um, you know, and uh, that uh, that artwork was no longer in vogue. So the huh. stones were starting to have uh, weeping willows and urns, and you saw angels, you know, blowing right. the trumpets, you know, sending the faithful to heaven. And so the stones reflected more um, uh, the spirituality around the idea of um, your loved one is now in heaven. They're safe. They're waiting for you. It was a much more comforting message as opposed to uh, the kind of the carnality of, 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 uh, of imminent death, you know, uh, and the focus on the body. Uh, and this was more of the focus on the spirit. So Vermont cemetery artwork kind of finally falls within that threshold between huh. the two eras there. So I've, you know, never seen uh, a death's head or a Grim Reaper image on what, any gravestones. Hold on. What yes. did you say? A death's head? A death's head. That's the What's... skull with the wings, oh, you know. Oh, lovely. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't found one of those huh. in Vermont. What you can find is um, what's called the soul effigy, where it looks a lot like a death's head, but it's more of a person's face with the wings. Um, and that really kind of... Uh, uh, progressed into the cherub image as well right. on, on gravestones as well. So you can really track the changing artwork, and that co- coincides with the changing religious beliefs of New Englanders as well. So again, Vermont th- falls in that threshold. So I'm always looking for artwork that, um, you know, is uh, atypical in Vermont. Um, so when I go to a cemetery, I'll look for the old slate stones, because the slate is usually going to be the oldest stones right. in that cemetery. And that's where you can see, um, you know, I think the kind of the most macabre I've found here in Vermont is some of the old slate stones will have little carvings of coffins on them, and sometimes the image of a, of a body within that coffin, too. And that's a carryover from the old Puritan image. Um, but for the most part, Vermont cemeteries, you know, it's weeping willow and it's, it's urns and it's angels and it's, you know, fingers pointing the soul up to heaven. Again, it's a lot more huh. about um, um, comforting the living huh. um, who are mourning the dead uh, as opposed to kind of this lesson about the toughness of life and how death is just right around the corner. And you mentioned that the Puritans didn't promise heaven. What, what did, I mean... <laughs> 
That's no, I, I like the promise myself personally. What did they say instead? You know, it was, um, um, that, uh, God will let a certain amount of people into, mm-hmm. um, into heaven and even being the most faithful person in life and, and following all the commandments yeah. and being a good Christian did not guarantee you a seat in heaven. And that really, um, yeah, I think, uh, that's, uh, a very, uh, um, do- donations help? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know and again that, that the gravestones reflected that that ethic of that wow. you know you're not really sure if there's going to be an afterlife or a comforting afterlife for you um and uh, you know it's interesting pat when i when i started this work you know again i was in my i was like 30 or so uh here i am i'm turning 45 next month um i think the past 3 years has been difficult for everyone right. um i almost died i had a heart attack oh wait damn i didn't know that yeah about about 3 years ago um you know and uh, i've had family members mm-hmm. die i've had good friends die yeah. over the past few years so my relationship to this work has really changed as well uh i still love the kind of darker macabre stuff you know i'm someone who loves horror movies and ghost stories, so I love that stuff. Um, but now that I'm older and death is more, something that I'm more, that's more present in my life, um, these stories and the symbols and the epitaphs that are focused on comforting the living, they're bringing me much more meaning these days. Interesting. Well, we won't discuss my being 80. And that plus, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of how much time do you have left, um, but... Uh, Oh, I'm so, I, I think, you know what, I remember when you were on the show last year, you mentioned I that. Probably I probably did, you yeah. You did, and I'm very sorry about that. Hope all is well. Everything's great yeah. now. It was a wake-up <clears throat> call. Um, so <clears throat> I was 41 when I had my heart attack. My family just has bad hearts. Wow. I did not have the healthiest lifestyle, um, but uh, I'm much better now. So good, and, and it's given me you. this, you know, live every day like it's fullest, you know, the, the taste the fruit from the vine while we can. Oh, that's a, well, that's a great message. Thank you for sharing that. That's Really disturbing for sure, and I'm because you're such a vibrant young man here. And I say young because you're half my age. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, um, I know. Or I was going to ask you what if you were to pick a cemetery in Vermont that depicted the best of what you're talking about or the most. What would that cemetery be? I would suggest people check out um, Old Bennington Cemetery in Bennington, Vermont. Really? Uh, it's in the historical district of Bennington. It's where Robert Frost is buried as well. Um, but they have these gorgeous marble stones because the marble were the quarries down there. So a lot of the stones are made of marble. They're very mm-hmm. well preserved. The artwork is incredible. It feels like you're seeing these stones like a year after they were made. They're in wow. such good shape. Uh, the epitaphs are clear. Um, and it's just a, it's a quintessential New England cemetery. Too, it's right next to a church. You know, a lot. You know, if you, I, I always go there in the fall, and so the leaves are everywhere. Uh, it just feels like, um, you know, a, a postcard of what Vermont mm-hmm. should look like. And then it also, I love Robert Frost's grave. Uh, he has this large um, flat stone. It's laid on the ground, oh. and um, it, his epitaph is from one of his poems, and says, "I had a lover's quarrel with the world." <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I, whenever anybody. Um, comes to visit us from out of state, I always take them to Hope. Yes. And all the way there, they're going, I can't believe we're going to a cemetery. I'm like, just wait, just yes. wait, we'll see. <laughs> um, because it's uh, it's really a treasure. Um, you, 
how many cemeteries are there in total in Vermont? There's about 2,000 cemeteries in wow. Vermont. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, about half those are old uh, kind of farm family cemeteries. Right. Um, you know, they're probably 100 plus years old. They're on a, in a field somewhere. They may be actual stones or they could just be field stones. Um, so about half the cemeteries in, uh, in Vermont are like that. The other half are, you know, municipal or private or church owned. Well, I, I was telling you on, on our street, it's one of those Vermont dirt road things. Yep. Of course, we saw it in the springtime before it got wet with mud. Mm-hmm. So it looked like a great road, but there you go. <laughs> At the end of the road, it's a dead end. There's this big farm, and there's a small cemetery with um, the Rhode Island um, gate around yep. it. And there's one big headstone and a couple of uh, little ones, and it's just right there. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure that's part of the, of your list here. That's probably one of the farm yeah. family right, cemeteries. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Cool, because they're, they're just hidden everywhere. They are, and I'm, I've tromped mm-hmm. through fields, you know, looking for these things. You know, I uh, usually try to get the landowner's permission, right. and they can point me in the right direction, but some of these are lost, you know. Yeah. Um, you have to find a small clearing in a field where there might be a couple you know, field stones as the only markers. Well, I, I sent you pictures. I stayed, because uh, everybody knows I go to Maine a lot, um, I stayed in Kenny Bunkport at a motel, and I'm walking my dog across street and on Route 1 mm-hmm. in Maine, one of the busiest streets ever. There it is. There's this amazing cemetery, mostly because it's by the ocean. There were a lot of um, admirals and yes. captains and stuff and, and folks from um, from the ocean and ships. It was fabulous. I knew you wouldn't be able to use it, but I just thought I'm walking away minding my own business and there's this, sadly, a few people um, managed to destroy oh. some of the... I mean, why do people do that? Seriously, it's, it's so it's, disrespectful. It absolutely is. And, you know, I think... Um, I often think about teenagers, you know, when they kind of lash out at yeah. um, and destroy uh, stones and cemeteries. Right. And it's um, a kind of, I think, a complex reaction to trying to understand death, you know, right. and so you lash out at a symbol of it. Ah. Um, that's, the, that's, that's as close I've gotten to that mindset. Huh. Well, it's a sad mindset. And it is. must yeah. be a better way to find out. Yes. Um, but in Berlin, where I live, um, there's, I think there's seven. That sounds right. Yeah. And, uh, and again, they are, other than the big one that's on Scott Hill Road, uh, uh, there's a big cemetery there, which is visible. You can see it. It's, but there are, as we just said, stuck down paths yep. in, in this corner and that corner. And uh, the Historical Society um, has a lot of information about the cemeteries in, in Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the two that I've had the that were the toughest to find, uh, there's one in Waterbury that's uh, just past the ice rink. Um, kind of you have to walk down the railroad tracks. It's kind of between the highway and the railroad tracks in the middle huh. of the woods. Um, that one took a few hours to find of just walking through the woods. And then the other one also in Waterbury is the um, cemetery for the patients at the Vermont State Hospital. Oh. Uh, and this was something that um, Representative Ann Donahue had, um, um, you know, cheerleading recognizing that um, these folks were buried in unmarked graves well, yeah, up there. Like Potter's and, Field, they would call it years ago, Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. And we, they don't even have a, a complete record of who's buried oh. up there. You know, it could be, um, you know, dozens. It could be a hundred. Um, but uh, she worked to get make sure there's right. a, a ceremonial stone up there uh, for the folks who, who never received a stone. I love Anne. She's fantastic. She's, she is one of the best representatives ever. And she reads every Bill, she votes on. She There's does. a concept. 
I'm waiting for them to put in uh, a system that that you record your votes on every bill. Yeah, that will make a big difference in the state house. The when, technology is there yeah, for that. It is. Yeah. They should do that, I think, because yeah. then people would actually read what they're voting on, um, which should be good. But anyway, we digress. So I know that there are some serious stories you must have about um, some of the stones. Could you share uh, them with us? We've got um, seven, eight minutes. Maybe we could fill in the time with some spooky stories. Sure. Um, A couple of years ago, I was out in Middlebury, and there is a cemetery um, right next to Middlebury College. Hmm. And I noticed one stone, it was marble, and it had an ankh on it, which is the Egyptian symbol of uh, life and death. It's a fertility symbol. Mm. It's um, um, If you see it, you'll recognize it. It's, it's kind of a, used in pop culture a lot. Mm. But I'd never seen an ankh on a Vermont gravestone. Could you spell that word? Uh, A-N-K-H. Oh, weird. So, I've yeah. seen that. Um, and <clears throat> I'll draw one for you later. Oh, you, cool. You'll recognize it. Um, and so immediately this caught my attention. And it turns out this is actually the gravestone for an Egyptian prince. And the story about how he ended up in Vermont is kind of surreal. Um, so this is an Egyptian prince born in the mid-1800s, died at the age of two, oh. and was mummified and buried. And then his body was stolen. And uh, back then, you know, um, there were, wasn't a lot of ethics around, um, you know, museums acquiring, you know, um, um, bodies or, or historical artifacts. So this was actually taken in by a museum, um, sold on the black market, bought by a museum in the in, um, in, uh, United States. But the body came in such bad shape that they never wanted to display it. And so this poor, you know, two-year-old kid, uh, actually his his mummified body stayed in an attic um, somewhere in Middlebury for decades and then uh, was discovered, uh, cremated, and then buried uh, in this cemetery. And, you know, they found out who he was, and that's why they – I can't pronounce his name. It's Abu something or other. It's very long. a lot of letters. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll (laughs) mangle it if I try. Um, But that's the story about how this two-year-old Egyptian prince came to be buried in Middlebury, Vermont. That is amazing. It really is, yeah. Yeah, wow. it's incredible. Um, one of my other favorite stories, um, um, you'll be right here in, in uh, not right here in Montpelier, but nearby in Montpelier at Green Mount Cemetery, uh, and that's the Black Agnes Stone, if we oh, want to. Yeah, everyone right. knows about I, yeah, Black yeah, Agnes. Yeah, He's supposed to uh, sit on Black Agnes's lap on midnight on a full moon or something like that, and you'll get cursed with bad luck or you'll die. Um, this is a, an urban legend that's handed down in Montpelier, you know, from uh, goes back decades. Um, and uh, Vermont historian Joe Citro, has, has, um, I have to credit him for, for kind of discovering this and writing about it. Um, this is a very creepy stone. It looks like um, it's a seated figure um, wrapped in a shroud. Uh, you can't tell what the gender is. It's very, um, um, you know, it's, it's fluid. Yeah, it? very fluid. Yes, thank you, Pat. You're um, and um, uh, it, it's it actually, it turns out it's the stone for um, for John Hubbard um, from hmm. the Hubbard family, right. um, you know, here in town. And he was actually kind of a a little bit of a villain within within the uh, um, Montpelier politics. He had contested his aunt's will, um, and she wanted to actually have uh, leave money to the town to build Green Mountain Cemetery. Uh, and he contested that will and, and was a bit of a villain in, in, in the community and um, um, died um, and during a thunderstorm. I remember there's a, a writer who wrote about this kind of almost biblical scene about uh, the last night that he was alive and this, you know, the skies broke open, the storms came, and the rain flooded 
down, and when he finally died, the storm ended. Uh, kind of um, again, oh. very biblical, Whoa. almost. You know, <laughs> um, so it's a little bit of a mystery why he has this kind of you know really creepy, offsetting stone uh, statue, but it's right in the middle of Green Mountain Cemetery, so you, you can't see you you see it when you when you first walk in. It feels like it's um, kind of the watcher on the threshold in some ways. You know, you like you, you walk past and you're moving from uh, the real world into uh, into the spiritual wow. world there. Um, um, but, you know, it, interestingly enough, it has nothing, you know, no one really knows why it's been called Black Agnes. It doesn't say Black Agnes. But there are other statues in the United States that look very similar that huh. also have this urban legend around it and, and refer, be, being referred to as Black Agnes and have some kind of myth about sitting on the lap and, you know, getting bad luck. So it's one of those moments where, um, you know, the stories just take new life. And you kind of you have to wonder how, you know, uh, on, on different coasts of this big country, you can have um, uh, the same urban legend surrounding stones that very look, look very similar. Wow. So, Dan, what is the um, alleged most haunted uh, <laughs> graveyard in Vermont? Is there such a thing? I'm sure there's uh, sightings and hauntings and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it's funny. I've spent uh, um, many nights in cemeteries. I do like photographing the statues and the stones at night. Yeah. Um, and the, the scariest thing I've encountered is a skunk. <laughs> <laughs> That'd scare me, I'll yeah. tell you. <laughs> um, you know, Back uh, away. Um, I would say um, Lakeview Cemetery up in Burlington um, oh, kind really? of really has this mystique about it. Um, there's um, um, some children buried there from um, the um, um, the girls' school that oh. was in, in Burlington, you know, where there's a lot of uh, – there was a lot of abuse and, yeah. and, and mismanagement there. Um, and um, that whole cemetery right. kind of has a mystique to it. And I think you, people who walk their dogs at night will tell you about sounds and, you know, spectral shapes they see. I haven't encountered that. Um, uh, my friend Thea Lewis, um, who's a – Burlington ghost hunter and you know she does the ghost tours up right, there right. Uh, she knows that cemetery quite well and I don't think she's really encountered anything you know um, um, you know uh, too scary think, as well I think you'd have to be truly open to the possibility right you, you know, may be a little too practical then I, I think so too <laughs> and you know but the, the interesting thing is you know when you're in a cemetery at night and maybe you're alone or you're with one other person your mind can wander a little bit and, right. and make you um, believe you're seeing things that aren't necessarily there. Um, so uh, it puts you in an environment that may change what you believe could be um, real and, and what could be uh, manufactured. So there's a ghost tour in in Burlington? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, Thea Lewis is a great uh, – she'll do a ghost tour of some of the cemeteries uh, in oh. the area. And she also, I think, just wrote a book, a new book about some of the notorious murders in, in Burlington as well and does a tour about some of those sites too. Good grief. Well, we were uh, – Bruce and I camped in Gettysburg for four years. Wow. And seriously, we had an experience – I don't know if I ever shared it on the air – at Devil's Den. Uh, and uh, we were walking through the fields – I have to watch the time. We were walking through the fields, and, and at the end I said to Bruce, I, I hate to tell you this, but I smelled smoke and heard cry, or heard screaming. Wow. And you know what he said, my retired trooper husband? Me too. Wow. Whoa. Pat, yeah. No, that's, you know. Yep. <laughs> Whoa. I, and I, don't, I wasn't thinking of that. But yep. those the, the men, the soldiers died right there yeah. I mean, in the ground. And it was a face-to-face bloody confrontation. So anyway, uh, we only have one more 
minute, Dan Barlow. I can't thank you enough. Thank you for being at People's Health and Wellness and for what you do for our community. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. And thanks for having me on no each year to talk about cemeteries. <laughs> and it's, I look forward to it You've all the time. You've got to write the book, Dan. I will write the book. So I, maybe next year, you know, I'll have the book ready. I'll so. download it and we'll be able to talk about the pictures. Great. Thank you. All right, folks, um, glad you stayed with us. Stay with us. Katie Childs is going to be on from Montpelier Live. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.